Resident Evil Transformation Lighting Specialist to Arc Residential Welcome to Residential Tech Talks. I'm Jeremy Glowacki, Executive Editor of Residential Tech Today. On this week's podcast, Mandy Beckner joins us from Fairfax, Virginia, where she is Vice President of Education and Training at CEDIA. Last week, in honor of International Women's Day, CEDIA partnered with the Women in Consumer Technology Group to provide educational opportunities to women throughout the smart home industry. In the partnership announcement, Mandy, who in addition to her role at CEDIA is also a board member for the Women in Consumer Technology Group, said that the goal of the partnership was to inspire everyone in the industry to level up their careers through CEDIA education and certification and to provide opportunities to level the playing field within the industry. Our guest today began her tenure with CEDIA almost a year and a half ago after serving 20 years in educational leadership roles with Avixa, the association that runs the Infocom trade show. Today, we will learn more about her career path and what initiatives she's helping bring to CEDIA training and education. Mandy Beckner, thanks for joining us today to talk about your career and to share some of your industry insights. Thank you so much for having me. This is a real honor. Well, it's great to finally have the chance to talk. And there's been a lot going on at CEDIA with the hiring of CEO and global president, Daryl Friedman, who's been on this podcast a couple of times. Um, and VP of Communications, uh, Christine DeJoy, and now you and your education and training role, of course. And um, now that it's been about a year and a half, do you feel like you've settled in at Cedia? Well, I don't know that I want to feel settled. Is that an odd thing to say? No, no, that's um, a good, good point. Yeah, you don't want to be too settled. <laughs> um, I think that you know, it's good to have in this, in this time of change at Cedia across not only the staff, but this membership that there's some discomfort with the ambiguity that comes with change, but there's a lot of excitement that comes with it too. And the excitement's the bit that I don't want to miss out on. I wanna keep that fresh and new. And certainly when muscle memory takes over and we hedge back to our comfort zones and change, that's exactly where the, the new energy wants to push us forward and not, and not be reluctant to, to keep doing things differently and try the next thing. Well. You know, you're in um, the D.C. area, and yes. I'm in the Indy area where CDO headquarters is located and big, beautiful facility there. Um, Daryl's also in the D.C. area. Are you, um, you're such a global <laughs> organization now. Are you very virtual in the way that you run things, or do you sometimes do, get the in-person experience coming back to headquarters and have big meetings and things like that? We're trying to find the right balance for us at CDA. So we're experimenting a bit. And the thing that we've been doing uh, for several months now is we do something called Collaboration Week. You know, I do a lot of reading in association news, and I haven't seen other organizations trying this yet. But essentially what it is, is once a month for a week, we all come together in Indy at headquarters. So people who work from home, people who work remotely, we all come in and have a week of a different kind of work. Right? The work that gets done is different, but we also take advantage of the energy and the white spaces of the work, the connections over cake to celebrate people's birthdays or anniversaries or uh, happy hours or just that nature of being adjacent to a meeting to kind of see what the vibe is and, and how people connect with the content or solve the problem. It's all interesting ways of bolstering 
our heads down individual solo work time that we have when we're all at our home offices or remote offices. Well, I want to, ex- yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. And uh, it's good to know. And and I will um, make sure I uh, crash one of those uh, get togethers at some point when I know you're all going to be in town. And, and, and that would be great. Come join us. Yeah, we'll do. Um, and I, I definitely want to talk more about what your role looks like and, and things that you've been working on. But I also want to back up a little bit and uh, let people get to know you a little more from your background. And I, I see that you you went to school, your college experience was in the DC area, and so is your grad school. So are you from that area originally? I'm not actually. I'm born and raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. In fact, I have the habit of still calling that home, even though I've lived in Virginia for a long time. Okay, <laughs> great. Well, and and but you did end up at, so this is a school I'd not heard of, Catholic University of America. How did you end up there? Well, when I was um, touring schools, I knew I really wanted to go to school in D.C. And at the time, I can't believe it, but at the time, I was a politics major. Mm. <laughs> so that's what I wanted to start school as. And um, I, I loved just the accessibility of the D.C. area, the fact that you could hop on a metro and get anywhere. Um, so I, I wanted a small school. I wanted to be easy to get around. And, and for me, Catholic University fit the bill. And you studied education uh, at that yes. point. Did you think you were going to be a teacher or a professor? What, what was the plan there? Well, when I changed and realized that poli sci was not for me. Right. Then I, I did change to education. I think that there was something in my psychology that made me think everyone in my family is in education. I'm not going to be in education. Mm-hmm. No, nope, no, nope, that was my calling too. So um, when I was uh, looking at what to focus on in education, there was this great advisor I had who specialized in something called education studies. It's education outside of the classroom. We have, we're just spoiled rotten here in the DC area with educational institutions that are not formal schools. The Smithsonian Institution, National Geographic, public broadcasting. There's so many things here that require expertise in education systems, in instructional design, um, in content management, in knowledge management. And these were areas that I was really drawn to and loved. I still did that student teaching bit, but um, instructional design was the bit I, I did love. And then for graduate school, I was at Avixa for a while. And um, wanted to, to go back to do more on knowledge management and education systems. And so that's what I focused on when I went to Georgetown. Yeah, I love that degree, communication, culture, and technology. I, I think that um, those are three things that I can really kind of lean into from my career experience. And I think I could, I could see having a master's degree in that. So that sounds really cool. Um, what what is that? I our <laughs> industry well. So at Georgetown, they talk a lot about the power of interdisciplinarity. Uh-huh. which is the, uh, you know, all these audiovisual professionals out in the world and the various places where they work and the kinds that they work they do are really interdisciplinary. So uh, uh-huh. I think I, I really loved that message that, that the school was giving me and I certainly leaned into it. And then when I went to explore, I found that that, that program would be perfect for me. Yeah. And, and so what was the value for you having already started your career at Novixa going back and getting that degree? Um, what what did you see that you needed uh, to enhance to to be better at your job or to advance forward in your career? Um, for me, it was about the changes that technology brought to the education landscape. 
Okay. So, um, <laughs> I don't, I'm trying not to age myself, but <laughs> there were, there were so many cool experiences and experiments happening in education while I was at Avixa. And I wanted to learn more about how to monetize those, how to make sure that the learner experience was centered around true purposeful learning. Um, at the time, people were experimenting with things like Second Life, uh, which if you're into meta now, maybe mm -hmm. you should Google as, as things we played with before meta was a thing. Um, <laughs> there, there were experiments in how you codify and break down instruction and how you track it and how you prove out that it is um, valuable in return on investment and return on objective, just all these really fascinating things. Um, there was a, a professor there who was my advisor who was working for the World Bank, and this is something the World Bank carries very passionately about. So did a lot of studying with her to find out how these systems are being used in real applications, um, where they're valuable, and where the work has to be started so that when technology catches up, we can grow from that from the from the work to, to what the reality could be. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Now, you you obviously, uh, I mean, I would imagine you had a good impact, a great impact in Avixa's training and education. It, it's one of those associations within the tech space that I, I just feel like really had it figured out. And that's me looking from the outside in. Um, and, and how proud of uh, certification members are and by putting it next to their name and that type of thing. You just really haven't seen that as much at uh, the CDA level. You, um, you have um, you know, really good programs and a lot of volunteers doing a lot of great work. Um, but I feel like it, it was just so institutional there in terms of like its importance. Is that something that you observed too? And is it something that you kind of feel like could be applied to CEDIA in some way with the certification programs? Well, for the last part, yes, 100%, it can be applied. But what's good for CEDIA members to know is that that didn't just happen. It was years in the making. And so um, I do see for some for some CEDIA members an, an impatience to, to turn that light switch on and model that behavior uh, in, in our segment of the industry as it is in the commercial segment of the industry. And I think that's great. And I, I love that urgency but also for others who are getting frustrated, give yourself some patience. There were significant investments made in the promotion of that credential and the building of the credentials audience and telling its story among the people who held the credential for years, it built up to that. So uh, I do think that that's very valuable and absolutely possible for the CDO audience. And I can see in a crystal ball almost, all the derivative value that comes from doing that, it's incredible. It affects a lot of different things. Well, when you first um, took your role a year and a half ago, um, you, you, I'm sure you did, did your homework. You knew the differences between the, the commercial side of the business, the residential side, and the different organizations, which partner with um, you know, uh, ISC show. So there's an overlap there between uh, Infocom and CDA Expo. Um, what were some of your initial observations or surprises when you started your role at Cedia? Um, surprises. Well, I think first the thing that surprised me was how familiar it felt. It was like I got to a family reunion and I'm meeting relatives who I didn't know I had. Yeah. 
Um, and I would get this spark of joy every time I would realize that there was a crossover of a volunteer who I have a trusted and trusting relationship with from my commercial work over here in the residential work. That was, that was nice, that familiar feeling, but also to meet so many new and fascinating experts that are working in areas that I didn't know I needed to care about. I, I would say that the number one of those is being schooled by the volunteer leadership here about the importance of the art artist's creative intent. Mm. I don't think I ever uttered the words creative intent when I was working on commercial projects. It's not often something that comes up when thinking about what's needed for a needs assessment for a commercial boardroom. But here, right. um, it's something that happens a lot. Yeah, that's a really interesting observation for sure. And I, I do hear the same thing a lot. And I guess I start taking it for granted because every loudspeaker company seems to be focused on that goal as making it sound like the way that the creators wanted it to sound and hadn't really associated with the fact that a PA system in a stadium isn't the same experience. You know, it's just like you really want to do something. There's a whole different um, goal there. Um, so that's a great, great yes. way to kind of differentiate the two. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, after the break, uh, we will continue our conversation with Mandy Beckner. Today's episode of Residential Tech Talks is brought to you by NICE, the global manufacturer of smart home security and building automation solutions. NICE is bringing together 30 years of innovation with award-winning products from Elan, Speakercraft, and Panamax to create a holistic ecosystem for builders, integrators, and consumers. Learn more about how you can create one home with one solution at go.niceforyou.com backslash RTT. Welcome back. We're talking with Mandy Beckner, Vice President of Education and Training for Cedia. So Mandy, I was wondering, wh what is the day-to-day -day, uh, for someone in your role? Do you, um, are you, are you meeting, having meetings like all day long? Are you re review, <laughs> reviewing documents? I know you edited uh, some some technical things. Uh, it was referenced in one of your articles that you wrote uh, that you got to edit the the uh, certification documents. And I thought that was an interesting thing because I'm always editing myself. Um, what, what do you do day to day there? Yes, well, I will say maybe it's because of the week I've had, but oh, so many meetings. <laughs> yeah. um, my number one thing is to set up the my teams for success. So I under education and training at Cedia, we've got standards development, right? We need to know what the recommended practices and best practices and white papers and trends are that are affecting our education, our educational events like the conferences and uh, the, our documentation for our body of knowledge. All of that is is important. So in standards right now, we're focusing a lot on our launch of our our peer review for the immersive audio recommended practice mm. um, it's code in the standards world is called rp22 so sometimes we throw that that lingo in there um, that is that is ramping up uh, we okay. have a live event on that soon and um, and then reading through that technical document and being part of that conversation is you know part of my role to to support the volunteers and the work that went through it for three years, I think they've been working on this one. Right. It's a significant piece, plus the standards team. Then standards informs, as I mentioned, the body of knowledge. So we have a team of people who 
document the body of knowledge, who are, are technically competent in all the things in the trade. In fact, three of them came from the industry who, who do this work and making sure that that whatever we turn into curriculum is from a place of documenting the process um, in a concise and repeatable way, documenting the concepts to make sure that they are valid and relevant. All of that work almost never stops. Both new content development, like um, we're writing right now a workshop on um, Wireshark, mm. and then also content maintenance. Things are constantly changing, so what do we have to update? Um, for that one, we have some changes with Power over Ethernet that's being updated. Then from there, we've got the um, development of our content, uh, particularly the e-learning content or the in-person conference content. So curating those conferences. Um, right now, a lot of work's going into Expo. I know that sounds insane because Expo is in September, but we have deadlines for registration, and all of that needs to be baked pretty soon. Yeah. Um, and other, you know, all our online courses, we have 160 some titles in our LMS. We have online training that's free. We have online training that's um, uh, registration is required. It's there's a host of content there that people can explore. And then, of course, when you're ready to put your mark on the world and say, I am competent in this, we have our certification program. Right. So now, where, where does keeping all that where, going is a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and obviously with the volunteer aspect of it, you've got those experienced um, profession, professionals in CEDIA that are driving a lot of this, but the content experts that are actually integrators or manufacturers, they have other jobs, obviously. So right. it's got to be a challenge. They're just getting everyone on the same page, get, getting to meetings, getting things done by a deadline and all that. Right. Um, what is um, the tech summit um, portion of that? Because um, I know those are a big deal, regional events. Uh, are you helping guide the content on those? We are a small organization. So, of course, we're all involved to support each other's success. And the tech summits is no different. So at the tech summits, we want to balance the CEDIA training with product training from manufacturers because both have a place, both are important. And Tech Summits is a, a great opportunity to bring that training to local areas, to regional areas. So yes, I do collaborate with um, our teams that are putting together Tech Summits um, so that in each region, they can respond to the needs of the region with specific content. What might be excellent for a Tech Summit in LA might not be excellent for a Tech Summit in India or Australia. So mm -hmm. um, we are collaborative with our, our local experts to make sure that what's involved is exactly what, what the market needs. I'm uh, headed to my first tech summit, believe it or not. I just haven't had the opportunity, the reason to go to one just because I go to so many other events that I see sure. a lot of the same manufacturers. And uh, I, I, I guess the something is working in the algorithm where I got a reminder that there's a Chicago tech summit in my area, you know, that's right. <laughs> and so, so I thought, you know what, my my calendar looks like it might be clear that day, and I'm going to head up there. It's an easy drive, and uh, just see what how those things go, and actually sit in on some manufacturer training, which I rarely have the time to do at a at an expo, um, or or some other event where it's just I'm being pulled too many different directions. Um, right. So we'll see. That'll be fun. Um, I had a question for you about the the challenge of how you present virtual versus in-person, you know, 
some people are better visual learners. Um, some people need a guided instruction. So from your just knowledge of all of this, um, is there some sort of rules or best practices that you try to get that blend right with? There are, but I'm going to lean heavily on my VIX experience in this conversation. Um, from what um, from what I've seen of our catalog of courses for Cedia, Cedia has a very proud tradition of excellent in-person training. In a post-pandemic world, that's a bit of a struggle. That's not just for Cedia, that's every association. In fact, just yesterday, I was at a meeting with 22 other associations, VPs of learning, and they're all experiencing this. Of the group that met, only two, us included, are the ones that are still doing in-person classroom training regionally. Mm, wow. So, wow. And and these are, these are, there are trades included here, right? This is, I'm not talking about people that, for whom it is not important to have uh, skills-based training. So finding a good balance is, is a trick. But I'm not seeing um, uh, any, anyone embrace a type of instructional design that I would call virtual classroom. It's probably old vocabulary from my Avixa days, and there might be a better term for it. But what I mean by that is, uh, instructors who are engaging at a distance, who have tools in their toolkit for how to embrace an audience of people virtually. I'm not talking about webinars here. Okay. I'm talking about distance learning, true distance learning. Everyone's mm -hmm. camera's on, mics are hot. This is project-based learning. Um, this isn't lecture-based learning. Uh, these are things that I did at Avixa and that I'd like to try here with the CD audience. Well, that's going to be interesting. Um, I'd, I'd love to hear how that progresses. Um, it sounds like it's something in you know, the developmental stage, but um, I'm sure that it would be well-received because things that need to be learned, have there's a lot of questions to be asked and to be able to have that interaction, but not necessarily have to go somewhere to do it, uh, would I'm sure be welcomed by this uh, particular audience, right? Yes. Um, and I will say that Cedia, one thing that really impresses me is the body of knowledge that they have in their recently updated 2001-2002 um, learning management system. They have all of this online courses that are new. They're still new. They are valid. They are relevant. The instructional design is terrific. The content is in line with certifications, uh, with our white papers and best practices. It's, it is very well done. Well, you mentioned, uh, and we talked about the, the the volunteer aspect of of curriculum development. And uh, in the piece that you wrote for Residential Tech Today, back early 2022, uh, you mentioned the importance of the volunteers and that you felt that um, in addition to the volunteer co contribution, CEDIA um, should apply um, human-centered design best practices and thought full portfolio management and project management discipline. And I thought that those were all really cool terms. And the one that kind of I was interested in learning more about, and then I saw in your bio that you had been certified in human-centered design. I wanted to know more about that. Um, I can kind of glean what that would mean, but can you explain what human-centered design um, is and how you become certified in that? Sure. So in its basic version, human-centered design is taking a look at how a uh, human is addressing a problem 
or their work even, and observing how that's going and how it could be made better. Uh, the reason that's important in what I do is, it, I imagine this is probably true for a lot of companies, but I see it a lot with associations. People will come to you and say, we have a problem and we need an online course about this. As if training is uh, the hammer and everything is a nail. Right. <laughs> um, so if we apply a human-centered design approach to that, then instructional designers can explore, well, okay, what is it that you're trying to achieve? Well, where do you see this problem? Walk me through how that looks. And then through asking thoughtful questions and exploring what the issue is, they can design the appropriate solution. Sometimes in education, that might be an infographic or a poster or flashcards. It's not always a course or online learning or a classroom experience or a certification. There's uh, ways of making sure that you are identifying the right problem, that that problem is the most impactful one to solve. And this is where it gets goes hand in hand with that product development bit that you read off to, the human-centered and product development. Are, is solving this problem going to make a large enough impact across the membership or an important subset of the membership or for a strategic initiative that it will be valued? There's a lot of niche things, and we're already a niche industry. Right. How do we make sure that we honor the resources of the association and, and prioritize the things that are going to have the greatest impact? Yeah, that's an important um, gatekeeping role to kind of have uh, in the organization because you could just chase down all these little false <laughs> leads or whatever and get busy on things that don't have a a big enough in impact on the, the whole membership and your resources can get taxed. So, um, yeah, I guess you, uh, is everyone kind of on board with that at this point, or do you have to be the one that has to step in and go, okay, so let's, <laughs> let's like stop it for a second and talk about this. Um, I think for anyone who's in product development, the answer is, is, well, it's always a dance, right? Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, I tend to be uh, a person that really likes, formulas and spreadsheets and databases and facts. And it's probably why I love audio. Um, mm. I think of these problems in terms of all the levers one could adjust or score to figure out what the business case is, mm -hmm. to make sure that you can compare 12 ideas as fairly as possible to know which one is most urgent, which one needs more investment, which one is strategic, which one is tactical, going to have a huge impact. Those kinds of things I find fun. Um, so I can nerd out pretty hard about those uh, spreadsheets and everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I would imagine that being um, a, a woman in your role is, is really uh a great uh, thing for CD to have as well, because you bring a perspective that it's a very male dominated industry, as we know, it doesn't even need to be uh, said, but there's more and more women in leadership roles within the industry. And to be able to sort of, um, to, to be in another leadership role within the association, it's, a, it's just a great position to be in, I would imagine. You're a good role model in that regard. And that brings me to the the news that occurred a, a week prior to our 
well, the week of our recording, to honor International Women's Day, the partnership between CDN and the Women in Consumer Technology Group. Um, can you uh, dive into how that combination came together? You're a board member with the Women in Consumer Technology Group, so you obviously had some insights there ahead of time, but how you came up with a plan to provide an opportunity to present education in a way that was maybe enhancing what women's roles could be within it or uh, less intimidating for women to be a part of. Let's dive into what that program is and the partnership. Sure. Well, like so many things in our business, this one is one that came out from trusted relationships. So a couple of things happened sort of all at once. Um, I First of all, I know Carol Campbell, I've, I've known her for, for years, and her organization is spectacular. So when I came to Cedia, uh, she was one of the names and, and people I already knew in the community. And so Carol had invited me to a DC event because she was going to be in town. And at that event, there were uh, professional coaches who were coming to, to work on um, professional development and leadership coaching for the community of women in CT that was gathered there. Hmm. And this event was spectacular. Oh my gosh. The, the output from this event was confidence, um, assurance, network. It was really remarkable. And some of the stories of what has happened in the careers of women who went to this coaching event were, were just really, really cool and inspiring and something that, that um, Carol was sharing a lot about. So I had just had this experience and then also, I work a lot with Amanda Wildman. She is an amazing champion of all things CDA. She's a core volunteer. She's on the certification commission. She's on the board. So even if she wasn't, though, like this energy would still be there, right? So Amanda happened to be saying to me, wouldn't it be great as we're looking at expanding the number of people in the community of CDA that have certification, if we offered some sort of study group or something for this network of women um, who are like Amanda, working for integrators, they're in the field, they're very much in a male-dominated space, and they too want to earn their certification. So what could we do? How could we match up the fact that we both serve on women in CT and and also this idea of getting people certified? And then Carol was mentioning how she'd love to work together on doing some webinar series and all the things just kind of fell into place. So we have two webinar series that we're doing. One is an extension of the coaching that women who are members of Women in CT can get with the uh, professional coaches. So there's a three webinar series for that. And then also in support of helping women um, use certification as a tool of differentiating themselves in the workplace. Mm -hmm. How can we offer a study group championed by uh, Amanda Wildman to um, just build a community where people can explore in the, the, what's on the exam, ask questions, take, take little quizzes along the way, and just support each other as we get ready to take our exam, hopefully at Expo. Wouldn't that be cool? So um, that's, the, that's the plan there. Okay. <clears throat> so that, that, that makes a lot of sense now. And, and I, that background really helps because, uh, I see that, um, the idea is to build confidence prior to taking those exam exams and showcase, um, industry commitment to their employers. So that, that, uh, 
um, is something that I would say would I would take for granted that I'm I'm gonna have my own confidence level, whatever it is. But I can see where if you're not in if you're in a male dominated industry and you're going to be taking a certification exam as a woman, you may have this like feeling of maybe inferiority or something that shouldn't be there, but it is. And if you can get with your peers who are also in the same mindset and overcome that with some coaching, that would be a good thing, right? <laughs> and it'll be good for anyone who just has some test anxiety. Right. right? Yeah. All out there, out there, you're doing the work. If you're worried about the exam and how to get over your testing, you're, you're well, anyone is welcome to come to this webinar series. We uh, want to support diversity in all of its ways in our industry. And diversity doesn't look like just one thing, right? right? Diversity and inclusion are often using together. But as we meet each other, we might not realize the areas of, um, of diversity that we already have and just aren't acknowledging neurodiversity, gender diversity, racial diversity, all of them are important because we want to be this innovative community and differences make us more interesting and creative and innovative. So um, for anyone who's interested in taking the certification exam, you are welcome. This is a very welcoming community. Um, so don't don't let the fact that it's an intended for, for women turn you off. Right. Uh, we're all are welcome. <laughs> Yeah, and that's a good point. And I, I don't want to just skirt over the fact that the CIT um, exam is is a really big deal for, for CEDIA. And maybe stop for a second and explain what that is. We've talked about it on the podcast before. Amanda's been on before to talk about it, but it's been a while. So if someone's listening to this and they're just not aware, what are we talking about with CIT? What, um, can you uh, give us just the sort of boilerplate on that one? Sure. Well, I'm uh, one thing I'm told, I wasn't part of this community in these times, but there, there was a long history of doing certification at CEDIA. And it was um, something that the volunteers wanted to level up, level up in its validity and how it was seen by universities and educational institutions and how it was seen internationally, globally. Um, and one way they could level that up is by doing something similar to what uh, Avixa did, and that is get it accredited to the ISO standard for personnel certifications. So often we shortcut this and say, it's an ANSI accredited certification. Yeah. But just tell yourself that means it's a third party is auditing us and making sure that we do this in a way that is absolutely, absolutely defensibly um, impartial. Okay. Nothing on the exam is there because a CDS staff member thought it should be or a sponsor thought it should be. There has to be complete separation between education and certification, so we can't teach to the test. The process by which we administer the certification is what makes it valid. Hmm. And educational institutions, governments, global um, organizations love this. So that was the importance behind it. But you have to have a stepping stone. You have to have one that you say, this is the baseline from which you build the others. Okay. And that is the CIT certification. That's why when we're talking about certification, yes, CEDIA has others, but this is the one that you need to get so we can build to the next one and right. build in competency and be able to go to other industries, other stakeholders, um, governments, universities, and say, you can count our numbers and they are impressive. Right. And, and so just to get even more basic here, CIT, it, it's, it's a, basically a, a 
a fundamental integration standard. It's like wiring and that type of thing. Fundamental cabling, yeah. Cable, <laughs> wiring cable. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, and so then um, this webinar series, just to kind of get more specific on those details, we've published it on the website, but um, the, the series is uh, led by Becky Magnata of Homestead Coaching and Consulting. I'm assuming she was one of the people present for that uh, in-person event that you attended. Yes, she's um, leading our effort in the in the coaching. Um, okay. Becky's fantastic because she comes from the industry. She worked for Dish for many years, um, oh, and okay. now she's a professional coach. So yes, she's leading the the coaching webinar series, the three, and then there's the study session series, which is separate from that, um, the CIT study group, and that will be head by. We'll have lots of different voices coaching on that. It's uh, two sessions a week for three weeks. Right, starting well. August first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the 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 coaching is um, March twenty third, May eleventh, and June eighth. Um, yes, so, so those, but again, uh, we can send folks to the uh, events calendar at the Cedia website with Cedia.net um, for that um, registration. Cedia.net slash events. Okay, gotcha. And you can register for all of those webinars for free. Very good. Okay. Well. Um, I think that sounds great, and I really am happy that we were able to connect finally and uh, hopefully in person for one of those meetings there at CDA headquarters soon. So, uh, Andy Beckner, thank you so much for taking the time out today, and great talking to you. Thank you, too, Jeremy. I really enjoyed it. Mandy Beckner is Vice President of Education and Training for CDA. You can learn more about CDA training opportunities and or become a CDA member by visiting CDA.net. And that wraps up today's show. Special thanks to Pretty Easy Podcast for producing and editing this episode. If you're new to Residential Tech Talks, please subscribe to the weekly podcast wherever you watch or listen to podcasts. Also, check out all the latest residential tech news at the magazine's website, restechtoday.com, where you can also subscribe to the print or digital magazine and to our Tuesday and Friday email newsletters. Until next time, please stay safe, stay inspired, and let us know if you have a great story to tell. Residential lighting specialist to our residential house.